You're listening to Embolden Adventures. I'm Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, listeners and adventurers. Thank you for joining us today on this new episode of the Embolden Adventures podcast series. Embolden Adventures. Be emboldened. Emboldened Adventures is meant to inspire you to travel, to encourage you to see the world, to get out there, to explore, to learn. If you're that person who imagines traveling to places far away or even nearby, let Emboldened Adventures encourage you to take those steps to experience the world. Come follow along on the adventure. Visit the website at www.emboldenedventures.com. Sign up on the website to receive email updates and new content on trips. Use hashtag Embolden Adventures to share your stories and photos. Find Embolden Adventures on Instagram at Embolden Adventures and tweet at Embolden Adventure. More details will be posted in this podcast notes. Lastly, check out the Embolden Adventures podcasts with new episodes coming soon. Subscribe to Embolden Adventures on iTunes. Search Embolden Adventures on your podcast app on your smartphone and select subscribe. Or go to the Embolden Adventures website and click on the purple podcast link to the Embolden Adventures iTunes page. Please rate the podcast and tell us what you think. Welcome to part two of the Embolden Adventures, a wedding in Jordan podcast series. In the previous episode, we talked to my friend Jen, who is planning her destination wedding in Jordan this May. Jen and I discussed the reasons why she chose to get married in Jordan, her first impressions of the country, and some of the places we will all explore on the trip. You can listen to part one of this podcast on the Embolden Adventures website and read more about it on the blog post. You will learn about the places we'll be visiting and get a basic itinerary of the trip. Today, we have Jen's fiance, Adam, joining us to talk about his experiences growing up and living in Jordan. Now on to the show. Adam is joining us now from Australia. Hey, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hello, Sarah. How's it going? Jen, is she on the phone too? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Jen. I'm doing well. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for, thanks for being on the show. So tell us about this song, Adam. What is he singing? This is a song you picked, right? It's called Mali Shughul Bissou. This is a traditional song of Iraqi culture. This singer was, uh, he, he's an old Iraqi singer that reinvented how these songs are coming and added a bit more of a, a hip style to it. And I like it because it has the oud. I don't know if you know the oud. It's kind of like a guitar, but looks like a big watermelon and half a watermelon, kind of, except for the stick part. What I like about it is it has that oud part, which is a lot of the intro to traditional music we have. 
and it has a nice story to it. So he's talking about his love, and what he's saying is, the translation is, I didn't have anything to do in the market, I just passed by to see you. Which I think is a very lovely song that he's singing, and the style of it is very happy, and I don't know, it always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, I like it. Tell us more about yourself. Sure. So I'm uh, originally Jordanian. I was born in Jordan, but my parents were living and working in Kuwait, and they stayed there till around 91, 92. But we used to visit Jordan a lot, and that's where my dad and mom and their families are from. After 92, we moved back there, and I studied there, went to high school and university, and then worked there for seven years. And then around 2010, I moved to uh, Melbourne, Australia, where I'm living now. I would like to say that I kind of live, I would say, most of my life with Jordan and the memory and the friends and my traditions and culture from there. My parents are still there now, and I try to visit as often as I can, almost once a year. This year will be for the wedding. Very nice. Well, tell us about your family and friends. What are they like in Jordan? Yeah, sure. So my parents are originally Palestinian. My mom was mostly living in Jordan throughout her life, but my dad was in Palestine. He was born in Jerusalem, and then... Uh, he's originally from uh, an area we call Bir Saba, but it's known in English, translated to Bir Sheva. It's in the south of Palestine. And they're uh, very hard-working people. They moved to Kuwait where there were better jobs and opportunities, and then they moved back to Jordan, and my dad also moved to the Gulf to work more there. They have really amazing stories, and hopefully when uh, you meet them, you'll get to know more about them, but... Uh, in terms of my friends, uh, because I moved a lot, I have some friends from school, uh, mostly in Jordan, but I changed schools like every two years because even when we went to Jordan, we ended up moving between many different houses. And I think I recall like we moved 35 times. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really crazy. Part of it was because we were in Kuwait when the Gulf War happened and we ended up just moving between different safe spots and, and where school was. But then when we got to Jordan, because it was a sudden move back from Kuwait, we didn't really have a place to stay. So we stayed with family every once in a while, moving between their different places until we settled down. And now we have uh, our own apartment there where my parents currently live there. In terms of friends, um, the ones that really stuck and I'm still friends with now are university friends that I that I uh, went to university in Jordan with. And I, I did also meet other friends through different circles who are really close friends to me and uh, we still chat and uh, talk a lot even, even though now we're all in different places. Some are still in Jordan. We did all kinds of crazy adventures and I formed a band there with one of the guys. You did? Yeah. I didn't know that. What what did yeah. you play? I ended up doing like backup vocals. It was really interesting. It didn't last that long because it was a last minute thing. So the, what was the band's name? Uh, it was called 20 Days. The reason we called it 20 Days is we had 20 days to prepare for our first gig. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you guys did a little tour then? You toured around Amman? Uh, it was just uh, one gig. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about a week and a half ago. Um, this is an off-topic uh, thing, but um, 
about the prevalence of heavy metal and that there's a bit of a following in Israel and the Middle East and out in uh, South America and, and Southeast Asia and uh, especially Myanmar. But uh, was your band heavy metal? Did you do a lot of, you know, hard rock? <laughs> no, so music in Jordan was Metallica, Pearl Jam, that kind of stuff. Everyone was into that. I was more into hip hop and R&B at that time. And then through my friend who I met at the radio station, he kind of opened my uh, my music taste into other stuff and started going into a bit more alternative and the punk scene and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit of a mix of everything, but everyone who kind of grew up there was into the rock and metal stuff. Tell us about the people of Jordan. Yeah, sure. So maybe I'll give a brief about the country first. So... Jordan as a country, I think Jen mentioned this in her podcast that she did with you, which was that, uh, what, what did you say it was, Jen? Was it quiet? <laughs> it's, a, it's a quiet house in a noisy neighborhood. Which I think kind of describes it, but the, the country itself has a big uh, refugee population, so all the troubles in the region lead to more people migrating there. So you have lots of Palestinians who formed... Uh, a lot of uh, the Jordanian population uh, through different waves, so 1948, 1967, and then all the people who were in Kuwait kind of migrated back to Jordan after the Gulf War, and then after the Iraq War, you had more people go and so on, and now it's happening with the Syrian refugees. It's a good, like, melting pot where you get lots of different people with different backgrounds. Lots of people think that because it's in... The, uh, in the Gulf region and close to the Gulf that it's a wealthy country with oil, but it's it's not really. One of Jordan's main exports was phosphate, but that I don't know how well that's doing, but the other things that Jordan is well known for is its tourism and its people. It invests in education and people, and that's what everyone there is focusing on. Amman is the city I lived in, and there are different terminologies for Amman, but used to be called Amun, which I think translates to Philadelphia. And so the city of brotherly love. Exactly. Ah, interesting. <laughs> well, Amun. One of the things that is said about Amman is it's a city that, and I know it sounds a bit controversial, but I've heard it a few times that Amman is a city that thrives on the problems of other cities because whenever all the cities around it have any problem, all the people go there and live there. You get different religions, so it's not a purely Islamic country. There are many Christians over there uh, that you get to interact with and so on. In my circles, I, it was kind of like a 50-50 split for me. And the people are very generous there and they invite you into their home. A big thing for people there is, is welcoming guests and treating guests uh, really well and it's it's sometimes a bit of a burden for you because you see the small family that they don't really have anything and they give you their bed when you go there to stay there and they'll say I'll sleep on the floor and it's more important that the guest feels at home and so on. That's wonderful it sounds so warm good people good place I look forward to it I look forward to experiencing it all meeting your family your friends you know just going to your country and, and getting a flavor of what it's all about. Yeah, it'll be amazing. Yeah. So tell us about, I guess, the royal family, right? I mean, kind of here in the States, the big news is always about the king. What's it like to have a have a royal family in Jordan? Yeah, sure. So 
the royal family, uh, the, the surname of the royal family is Hashem, or ha the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. And uh, they've ruled Jordan ever since the beginning when they moved, you know, when, when that migration happened. And that's like 1912 or 1910. Where did they migrate from? It was, I'm, I'm not so sure about this one. I don't know, because I think it was uh, a combined region with with Palestine, but their roots are also from Saudi Arabia. So I'm not really sure where that move happened from, but after they they did uh, start ruling the country and establishing it and so on, it was kind of a combined country with Palestine. The connection like I, I kind of have with, with the royal family is my mom is from the same family, which is Hashim. And in the early stages of the country, like, I think it was when King uh, Hussein started, which is the current king's father, when he when he was ruling the country, he was young, and uh, they had, like, a, a council that was an advisory council. And my mom's uncle was the head of that advisory council for the king. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so we did have that connection with them, but we're, like, a bit farther, uh, like a bit more, a different branch of the Hashemite family, I would say. When I look at my mom's family tree, I see that connection because they trace it back to like the prophet, because the prophet also is uh, Hashem, uh, the prophet Muhammad. So there is, there is that big culture, tie-in, tradition, and your roots and so on. And when you meet someone there, you always ask them, what's your family name? Because then you end up saying, oh, I know your cousin, I know your uncle. <laughs> and it's really weird because now when I'm living in Australia and you ask someone, there isn't that kind of, or in the Western world where you say, oh, I, you know, um, fine, yeah, I know someone from that family or I know where you guys are based from and you're originally Jordanian, no, you're originally Palestinian and so on. So roots are very important there, yeah. Very interesting. Well, I don't know if I told you guys this. Uh, Jen, I might have mentioned this to you, but, you know, you know I'm from, I grew up in Connecticut, and I live in New York City, and I'm obviously in the Western world. And, you know, I, one of my earliest memories as a kid was um, when uh, the Jordanian princess graduated high school. She came uh, to, I think, Westover she went to, which is near where I grew up in Connecticut, and uh, in the 80s, and and the big kind of local news was the fact that the king took his helicopter to Oxford Airport and uh, made a visit to see his daughter graduate. And I remember my mom telling me this when I was a kid, and it just seems so much like a fairy tale, like a princess and a king and in my hometown. And, you know, who, who, who'd have thought now that, you know, I get a chance to visit your world after pretty much your world came to visit me at, at such a young age? I I don't know, is, is that your cousin? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, that king, King Hussein, I think, was it? King Hussein? Yeah, I mean, this was mid-80s, so it must yeah. have been. My mom went to the same school as, uh, as King Hussein, so it was a very tight community back then, and almost everyone knew Very everyone. small, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, now when I, uh, and then my uncle ended up working also with the government, he ended up becoming an ambassador, and when I visit him, he has all these photos with the king, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is normal. When you live in a country with a king, people know the king, and that was my impression when I was young, but it's totally different now. Bigger populations and all that, but 
cooking and the songs and all that as it's all something of pride for the people back home. That's awesome. Yeah, it seems like he's well revered. It's a it's a great uh, ruling family that you have in your country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, to your suggestion, you know, you and I talked last week and, you know, I'm beginning to read Queen Noor's book um, that, you know, you've read. Uh, I got it in yeah, the mail. The faith. Yes. The, the faith is uh, it's a, a very great way to get a perspective on the politics, but also just the personal side of being an outsider that becomes Jordanian. And I just I was so impressed with how she made that transition from being an American to being like fully committed as the Jordanian queen is quite fascinating. It's like a fairy tale. It's really cool. <laughs> well, I was thumbing through, you know, the, the glossy pictures in the middle. And I think I, I shared this with you. I like the picture of her and the king on the Harley Davidson uh, riding in the Wadi Rum Desert. Yeah, King Hussein was uh, quite quite the rebel uh, from what I understand. He, <laughs> he definitely liked to uh, do risky things with motorcycles and helicopters and airplanes. So I guess when you're the king, then, you know, you're sort of always living on the edge anyway. So you're sort of an adrenaline junkie. Right. It's, it's good to be the king. So I guess on that note, it makes it may make some sense to ask you about some of these tourist sites, you know, in particular Wadi Rum. But, you know, tell us about growing up in Jordan. And, you know, did you get a chance to visit those famous sites that's, that are in your country? I'll take kind of a north to south view of it. But uh, the northern area has more ancient uh, ruin sites like there's uh, some there's the uh, Jarosh where we are planning the wedding and that's an ancient Roman city and it's one of the best preserved outside of uh, Rome I think going down farther south so you end up in Amman Amman has a citadel which has kind of the Roman columns and it has a great view of the city and also there's an amphitheater in downtown Amman and then you move more south and you start hitting the Dead Sea which has the floaty water that's really salty and close to that which I might have forgotten is uh, Madaba which uh, where Mount Nebo is and there's a really ancient old church and there's lots of mosaic and that's where Moses saw the promised land which was part of Palestine then and or you know it is it is that kind of land that you can see from that hilltop view then if you go down south, we said there's a Dead Sea, and then there are some uh, old uh, castles there built and used for part of the wars with the Crusaders, I think. Yeah. Wow, and so that's a long time ago. What are we talking, like 1000 AD or something? Yeah, yeah. And then you keep going down, and uh, you hit Wadi Rum and uh, Aqaba. So Aqaba is the port uh, of Jordan where really interesting marine life and diving and uh, it's really close to go to Egypt to Sinai and lots and there's a ferry there that you can take it I think it's three hours and you reach Sinai but going back a bit so Wadi Rum is the red desert I would call it or something like that it's a desert area with some interesting uh Sand structures, is it? Uh, these uh, really sure. cool rocks that yeah. sort of rise out from the desert and it gives it this really otherworldly feel. The Bedouins are in that area, so it's a very desert Bedouin community there, and lots of people go there to camp and you know enjoy that. And there are some activities there. There's, of course, I missed the big one, which is Petra, but I'll come back to that. But <laughs> there are some activities to do there, like sand dunes and, and 
there I don't know if you're familiar with it. There were some movies shot there, and also in Petra. So Petra is, is the rose city, and it's it's I think it's the biggest thing that draws people into uh, Jordan as a touristic mm -hmm. attraction. But Petra is uh, well, it was built by the Nabataeans, and then some Roman influence into building it. It is an amazing city. Everyone goes there, but out of Petra and Wadi Rum, because of their significance and importance and uh, it's really unique uh, scenery you had lots of films that were that were shot there that is lots of history that people like to go and see and say oh, i want to go to see petra because that's where uh, indiana jones was yeah, so, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah that's what i how i first got introduced to petra was from the movie indiana <laughs> jones yeah and then uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast the lawrence of arabia and uh, i guess the martian um but there are others too right this is a fairly popular place that hollywood goes to to film right in wadi rum and in petra yes so i can I can give you a bit of a brief on the movie industry there. So it had really early starts with Lawrence of Arabia, and then it moved into the famous scenes of Indiana Jones. So Lawrence of Arabia was mostly around uh, Wadi Rum. There, uh, there were lots of scenes around uh, Wadi Rum. And then Indiana Jones was uh, mainly the, the end of, of that. Uh, I think it was the third movie. Of Indiana Jones, they they had a, a scene of the treasury of Petra. It's a bit misleading because mm -hmm. uh, they show you in the scene that they go in and lots of stuff is happening in the treasury. But uh, once you go there, you will find out that it's not really that big on the inside. It's yeah. just a room. Yeah. It turns out there's no Holy Grail inside there, which is yeah. really disappointing. <laughs> in the movie or in real life? No, in the movie. <laughs> oh, right. They find you know the old knight and he's protecting the the grail right in real life it's just a, a box of a room in there and there's nothing really interesting it's just a facade oh. like the treasury actually has nothing inside of it not a lot of things in petra are like that they carve these beautiful things on the outside there's nothing inside huh so it was never used for anything it was just more not for a ceremonial ceremonial oh interesting yeah oh. Yeah, that, that was parts of Indiana Jones. And then afterwards when, um, I think in the late 90s, they did The Mummy Returns, but that wasn't really big. And that's where my friend started on the in the movie industry, and he was like a production assistant there. But now there are so many movies being shot there. And even, I think it started picking up around 2005, maybe 2006, seven something like that. And you got lots of local and foreign films uh, there and those were kind of like the ones that are well known from there were Hurt Locker it was all filmed in Jordan Transformers 2 was there as well there was Fair Game uh, Transformers 2 had scenes from Petra but it was from the monastery which is kind of looks like the treasury but it's a bit bigger and and a bit more remote. And then you ended up with other movies. Fair Game was the one with Sean Penn, and Insandis was nominated also for a foreign film Oscar. Oh, that was Rose this year, right? That was uh, this no, most recent Oscar? That one was Deep. Deep was nominated this year, but I'll come back to Deep in a bit. But Rosewater and The Martian were all shot there. Rosewater was the John Stewart one. And it was kind oh, right. of about Iran, but they shot it in Jordan. Oh, interesting, because that's when he took his leave of absence from The Daily Show, right, Jon Stewart? Exactly, oh. yeah. But 
what's really interesting is what uh, Thebe has accomplished this year because it is um, a very interesting movie to watch about an interesting time which is kind of close to Lawrence of Arabia time or it's it's around right the before. Ottoman yeah the Ottoman Empire and the wars that were happening there and it's about the train lines that were being built in Wadiram and uh, how the foreign uh, soldiers were there and it's really interesting because it reached so high and it's all directed locally and and that's one my friend worked on so my friend bought, brought me into working on all these movies and he started with being a production assistant now he's a big assistant director there and all the movies that he's working on are really amazing and he had the had the, the privilege of working on Deep and he's very supportive of it and very proud of it the difference between Lawrence of Arabia and Thebe, they're set in similar times, but you can see one of them is written from a British perspective, and one of them is actually from a local Jordanian perspective. And I think it's it's important to sort of see both sides of that. Interesting. they're quite different. Yeah, no, I, I need to check it out. Um, you know, I know it's gotten some press. I know I read it on BBC News, but uh, and I know you mentioned it as well to me, but uh, it'd be great to compare and contrast because I've watched Lawrence of Arabia, but I haven't seen Thebe yet, <laughs> so it'll be great to... And also, too, I mean, I've seen your cameo appearance on Hurt Locker. You need to obviously <laughs> tell us about that. I thought that was pretty fun to watch you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on Hurt Locker. <laughs> so the way that happened is uh, my friend uh, Yanel, uh, sometimes when they shoot these big movies they have really big areas to cover and manage and all that kind of stuff so he needed extra people to help. I, My trade was I was a software engineer and I was working at my desk job you know nine to five and all that and he told me hey we need some extra people for four days do you want to come help out? I was like yeah sure so I took time off the my regular job and went to work on uh, Hurt Locker. I was starting as a production assistant, and then because Hurt Locker is about the war in Iraq, we had some extras, and they were some of the Iraqi people who moved to Jordan. And I had to take them up to the minaret, and I had a walkie-talkie, and, and they were shooting the scene where uh, they're looking at the minaret, and there's people up there. And the funny part of, about it was... I had only two people with me, and when we're up there, we climbed up this huge minaret, and it was really interesting, and they, they were giving me signals, all right, let the first one do this, all right, second guy do this, and then they said, tell the third guy to do this, and I was like, there is no third guy, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it, was, it was a really funny moment, because I heard this pause after I said that, and then they said, you're the third guy. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I was in my sports clothes and all that, and they were dressed for the role. And I was like, I, I, I don't fit into this. You know, work. But I did it anyway, and I was doing weird stuff, you know, pointing and all that kind of, and, and we had to appear as if we're arguing and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, surely they're going to cut this out. But uh, They then, didn't. <laughs> yeah, I had to wait. Because they did scenes with only the two people, and they did scenes with the three of us. And I had to wait a year to find out if I made it or not. 
Oh, I see. It's just, it's really funny because now it's on Netflix and, you know, I think you're at minute 40 or 41 and, you know, there's dramatic, you know, violin music and Jeremy Renner is, you know, feverishly trying to, you know, I guess dismantle a bomb and, and it's all, you know, very tense and he's looking at you guys in his uh, rifle viewfinder and he's like, you know, there's two men on, a, three men on the minaret and I'm, and they show you and I start cracking up laughing and it totally took away from the dramatic moment because I'm like, Adam is not scary. <laughs> Sorry. When you know it's just Adam up there, it's like it's not so scary anymore. Right? No, not at all. I start cracking up laughing. Like, really? Like, you're afraid of Adam. <laughs> you look really confused. You're like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the interesting roles. Uh, I continued doing uh, production assistant work. Uh, ended up working on, as I said, Hurt Locker, Transformers to Insandis and uh, Fair Game. Those are the only ones I've worked on. But for, uh, was it Transformers 2? I was a production assistant and then I ended up becoming a grip person because they ha they needed someone to translate between the two crews. And that was a more interesting role because you get to work with the equipment and uh, as opposed to just random roles. But And yeah. translating uh, English to Arabic and back again? You were actually yeah. a translator. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was doing translating, but some stuff I didn't know how to translate. So I thought, okay, I don't know how to translate this. I might just go and do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jack of all trades. Well, isn't there a story about a Black Hawk helicopter and you're trying to film something? Uh, Jen, I think you may have mentioned this to me. Were you in that helicopter? And did they have to borrow the helicopter? What, what's the story about the helicopter? With the Transformers 2, because they wanted to film in Petra near the monastery, the monastery you have to go up 800 steps to get there. We had like at least, if not more, maybe double two tons of equipment because we had this really big crane that can film at 360 degree angles. So any angle basically they can film that, but that is a really long hike. So. The only way to transport stuff was to use a helicopter, which would go from the city of Petra into the monastery. And that's how we managed to move all the equipment. I know there was a debate at one point if we should use a donkey to lift the two tons, but uh, that didn't work out. Oh my <laughs> so. goodness, that poor donkey. <laughs> two tons, here, go. <laughs> uh, it would have been many trips, but... That was dismissed really quickly, but the helicopter was uh, given to the film crew by the army. There is this close relationship because whenever they film, they need the approvals from the government, and that includes uh, support from the army because one of the princes in Jordan is really promoting the film industry, and they're helping them out with any security they need. Wow, well, it seems like you've had quite an experience, Adam. After you wrapped up, I bet you all went out to celebrate. What's that like? What are the restaurants like in Jordan? What's the cuisine? Yeah, as I mentioned, it's uh, Jordan and Amman. Uh, it's a melting pot. So as with all the different nationalities and the roots you get, you get all their traditions. And of course, you would get many different flavors. And when I was growing up there, the main uh, flavors were, it was a mix of Palestinian and Jordanian food. And because... You know, my family had some Palestinian, uh, Palestinian roots, so you get that kind of mix. But some of the famous foods there, so mansaf is Jordan's traditional dish. Uh, it, it's a communal dish, so 
usually for Bedouin tribes, they used to have that. It's like bread, rice, and lots of meat on top. And they would have a yogurt sauce on the side. And the yogurt sauce was, it's called jamid, where they take the yogurt, they dry it, it becomes hard as rocks. And then they cook it again with the meat broth, and they put that on the mansaf. It's traditionally eaten by hand, although nowadays you get many different variations, but you kind of mix all that together, and it's Jordan's traditional dish. But you also find lots of other dishes that you might have heard of, like uh, Jordanian falafel is really amazing, and it's hummus. It's really, you get different kinds of falafel, uh, falafel there. You will get to see why I think the Jordanian one is the best, because it's really light and crispy and really fresh. And the hummus is very smooth, and you can keep going along with the hummus and eat as much as you can. And you have other dishes like that we eat at home, like ma'lube, which is, uh, translates to upside down. They cook rice with lots of other food and chicken and so on, and then they flip the pot upside down. And yeah, there are so many more that I can keep going on, but hopefully you'll get to taste lots of them. Of course, shawarma is one you'll taste, which is some people refer to as a souvlaki or a kebab. But uh, I still think shawarma is, is the better version of those because I think it's a bit lighter. and Simpler. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some of the food dishes that you can... Falafel is vegetarian, right? Are they... What's the... Is it chicken, you said? Is it lamb? Yeah. So the main red meat there is uh, lamb. And you get dishes with chicken. But I would say... The, the main food there, like home-cooked food and so on, is usually rice with something. And the something would be like a vegetable uh, stew with some, uh, some type of meat with it. And you'll get either lamb or chicken, usually. There are some vegetarian things, like you have the falafel and the hummus, and there's a rice dish with lentils, which is uh, vegetarian. There, it's always about honoring guests, and you do that with having meat. It's always a sign of generosity. Other than the more local, are there any sort of Western kind of food? Like, I don't know, like franchises, or is it mainly a very kind of local flavor? Well, Jordan is, uh, and mainly Amman, is very Westernized. So you will find lots of Western food there, and there you'll get all the the, you know, your McDonald's, Burger King, uh, KFC, you'll find all that kind of stuff. And you'll also find the upscale stuff like your uh, bistros and steakhouses and Italian and sushi. So don't worry, if you don't like the cuisine there, you will find something else that you will like. Even sushi, interesting. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not you know, your uh, skiji market uh, sushi that you'll find in Japan, but it'll do. It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to try that. Um, but is, I mean, I know your favorite fried chicken, you know, with your blog. Uh, is there fried chicken in Amman? There is uh, some fried chicken, but uh, I would say it's more fast foody kind of fried chicken. Not the best you will get. We, Jen and I went there and did a review last time, and um, yeah, I would, uh, I, I might give that a skip this time. Oh, one cluck, not three clucks. <laughs> so for all you listening, uh, Adam has the chicken scene, his blog, where he rates uh, fried chicken from around the world. So unfortunately, this isn't getting a good review, huh? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> How about the beer? Yeah, so Jordan, as I said, there's lots of Christians there and there's that kind of culture there. So one thing that you might be surprised by is, uh, I'll come back to the beer a bit, but uh, wine there, it has a really big wine industry there. Wow. It is a small country, so it's not that big compared to your worldwide, you know, Barossa Valley or um, or Napa. Yeah, it's not like that, but it's ancient civilization there. And as long as it was there, there was wine brewed there, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, one of the museums we went to actually had uh, the remains of something they believe to be one of the original wine presses oh, wow. in the world. It is quite ancient there. It's just not very modern. There are tours to wineries that they do there sometimes. It depends on the right time of the year. But going back to the beer, they uh, in Jordan, it's usually the imported beer. But recently, they have a microbrewery starting there. It's called uh, Karak Ale. Karak is one of the governates in the south of Jordan. And it is a really good beer. Like, they do their pale ales and your bright ale up to your hoppy kind of ales. And it's really good. You'll taste that when you're there. I look forward to trying the wine and the beer. And as you know, my brother, Devin, who you know very well. So is is Devin going to be impressed? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he says hi, by the way. And uh, he told me that uh, this past week he's been growing his beard. He said, quote, I'm going to outbeard your beard. On my website on Embolden Adventures, I have a countdown to Jordan. And right now the countdown is 62 days and roughly nine hours before we take off on our plane. So uh, he'll have a 62 or two-month-old beard by the time he shows up. Oh. <laughs> so get started. <laughs> mine, mine is since November, so I do have a head start. <laughs> so speaking of the wedding... Tell us about the wedding in Jordan nowadays and your wedding plans. Yeah, I'll give my kind of view on it because I'm sure Jen has uh, given her view, but I will get Jen also to talk about it a bit. Lots of the food that I mentioned is uh, is stuff you will taste there and hopefully you'll like it. Also, in terms of what the wedding is or weddings in Jordan are like nowadays, it's it's kind of a hybrid between some traditional stuff there and also uh, Western-style weddings where you get the reception and the DJ and the dancing and cutting the cake and all that kind of stuff. But you, we also blend in our traditions of there's the jaha where the groom's family goes to the bride's family and asks for uh, the daughter's hand and then they agree to it and they drink coffee and so on. So you get a mix of all that tradition when you have the christian style weddings you go to the church and you have the vows and so on so some stuff will be familiar other stuff might be a bit uh, interesting hopefully for us it'll be mostly familiar stuff except maybe the zaffe band ah, the zaffe so the zaffe is uh, a traditional band uh, they come in i think the first time jen saw them she thought they're pirates but <laughs> not really pirates they're just dressed in like uh, pantaloons and uh, big baggy shirts <laughs> but yeah. but but no parrot right on the shoulder <laughs> no parrot but they have that sash around uh, like as a belt it's sort of like a red sash with the baggy pants and the you know big shirt And so I just, and then they usually, some of them have something on their head, which is very similar to what you think of as pirates. So I think it's an old Mediterranean look. And so it's probably from a time, 
you know, we probably have our idea of what a pirate looks like from the Mediterranean <laughs> uh, peoples. And so I think this just sort of hung around in the Zefe band for some reason. They still wear this outfit. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's very uh, festive and lots of energy comes into it. And that's how uh, the groom and the bride enter. And yeah, it, it'll be amazing. I think it'll be really hard for you to hold yourself back from joining in and dancing and clapping. <laughs> Put your hands yeah. in the air. Yeah, well, the last podcast, we had uh, a traditional Zephé uh, sound uh, on, on the podcast. So I look forward to actually seeing it in person and experiencing it all. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will be. And so some of that stuff we'll, we'll pull into our wedding. So you'll see the Zephyr, you'll see kind of the... Hopefully a Debke. Yeah. A what? Is, the Debke is the, the... It's kind of a famous dance in that region. Like Lebanese people do it, the Syrians do it, also the Jordanians and Palestinians. Dancing lots, in a circle, basically. Oh. Lots of uh, footwork. But not fancy footwork, just uh, depends on how experienced they are with the dub kit. Sometimes you just bob and just stick your foot out when you move in a circle. Other times it's a bit, you know, full-on thump- uh, stumping on the ground and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's what the professionals do, which is really impressive and quite dramatic and difficult. And then there's what people do who kind of join in it's kind of like a congo line you know except you do it in a circle and you all just kind of join in you just kind of move together as best you can (laughs) around in a circle so uh hopefully we'll we'll have the space to to do that and get a big circle going i'm really looking forward to that before we're planning on having kind of a classic western style reception out in uh, one of the clubs in amman actually adam will probably be djing or at least picking the the music for that yeah Also a DJ, a man of many talents. Or maybe you can revive 20 Days again and have a band. (laughs) Get the band back together. (laughs) You have have 62 days according to my countdown, so. Yeah, so we're actually going to have kind of two parties, one that's more geared towards the younger uh, people that are local to Amman, but also the foreigners coming over. And then there will be the one that includes everyone, uh, which will be a bit more, um, it'll be traditional in, in an Arabic way, but that actually doesn't mean that it's quiet. Uh, so it's something I learned at the, the wedding that I went to two years ago was there may not be any alcohol, but they still know how to party. They clap, they dance, they get really into it. It's, it's a different vibe, but it's, it's just as cool in, in a different way. The day of the wedding uh, is actually, it's a ceremony, but it is not, um, it's not legal. So all of our uh, efforts will be going on in, in Australia. So all the legal components will be done here. And so it's the, it's the performance of the celebration that's happening there. And t- typically in an Arabic uh, or a sort of a Muslim style wedding, you would split the two as well. So you would have a separate event, which is like the signing of the documents. And then you have the party and the sort of ceremony, cutting the cake, bride and groom entering the room, all that kind of stuff. It'll be really amazing. We're looking forward to having it soon in 62 days. 62 days, nine hours and 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you, guys. This sounds awesome. I'm so excited, as I keep saying. Um, thank you for inviting me and letting me be part of your special day, your special moments. Um, I'm really happy for you guys. Thanks. Thank We're you. really excited. We're so thrilled to have you coming. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll be an adventure of a lifetime. So, so thank you for planning it and arranging it and showing us, you know, your world. And thank you all for joining us today on Embolden Adventures podcast. Stay tuned for the next podcasts coming soon. And remember to subscribe to the Embolden Adventures podcast on iTunes and sign up for the Embolden Adventures website to receive email updates and new content on travel adventures. Thank you, Adam and Jen, for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Have fun in Australia, and I'll see you guys in Jordan. And thank you for listening, and be emboldened. Until next time, adventurers. 